Hey, this is Napalm from Hiatus Coyote. You're listening to True Thoughts with Rob Louie.
hope you're well. It's Unfold Radio. True Thoughts, two-hour takeover. I'm Robert Louie. Glad to be here. We've got some uh, good music for you for the next two hours. Do our thing every week. Starting off the show with a couple of tunes this week. Alicia Joy from her brand new album on First Word Records. Really enjoying it. Played a track called GND. Check the album, self-produced by Alicia Joy. Been putting out some great music, collaborating with the likes of Close Counters, Sampology, out of Australia. Shout out to Alicia, shout out to Ali and all the First Word crew. Another good release from them. And the track we just had, um, been might, trying to get this into the show actually for a little while. I picked it up at Rekine Records in Brighton on a seven inch Cootie Man. I play a lot of his music. Tracks called Guruji on Sail Records, always putting out great music. And um, this track in the background, Ashtray Jenkins, with the <laughs> wonderfully titled track called Dashing Buttface. Good title. So, yeah, coming up on the show this week, we've got. Um, going to be chatting with Simon Richmond aka Palm Skin Productions via Zoom. Been a big fan of his for a while. He's been making great music so going to drop some tunes from him, have a chat with him. His story is really fascinating which you'll hear was um, originally in the early days there at Talking Loud Records, signed as part of the band with K Creative, then got fired from there, went on to do Palmskin Productions and um, was there in the early days of Mo Wax when um, James Lavelle was pretty much running it out of Honest John's record shop back in the days. And um, I think Palmskin Productions was one of the early signings there, I think the third release. So um, yeah, so he's, he's got a fascinating story, went on to co-produce Gabrielle's number one and work with R.E.M. and it's always been making very interesting music if you're regular over the years uh, on my shows you would uh, know I've always played music from him I'm a big fan over the years lots of tunes and of course we're very excited that we have a release of his on True Thoughts Other Times the album which is out now so before we get into that one interview i'll give you a little um reminder keep up to date with what we're doing at true thoughts tru thoughts on the website various social media and of course the radio shows up each and every week mixcloud soundcloud search true thoughts unfold robert louis to have another listen or if you miss a show you can catch up there shout out to the live listening crew streaming crew download crew however you're checking out the show and I've got the full playlists are up on my website Robert Louie R-O-B-E-R-T-L-U-I-S and I've got the current playlist and archive playlist there as well 
and I'm down with Instagram, Twitter, Robert Louis on there. And um, yeah, got to say a big shout out to everybody down at Sonic Switch Friday night in Brighton. I had a good session there. And so we're back in June. Next one is uh, Friday the 10th of June. We take go every second Friday of every month and I'm going to be doing five hour set there from 11am till no 11pm till 4am get that the right way around mixing up the music music across the board music across the borders everyone welcome and um, yeah of course looking forward to that session there So what we'll do is we'll let this track play without me talking over it. Ash Trey Jenkins. It's called uh, Dashing Butt Face. And then we're going to drop um, the first track we put out on True Thoughts from Palm Skin Productions. A brilliant tune called The Sword Will Die. Epic, epic tune. But let's get into this one right now. <laughs> Two doors. 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 Two doors.
This is Palmskin Productions, and you're listening to True Thoughts with Rob Louie.
Okay, so uh, you're tuned to True Thoughts and uh, I'm Rob Louie and we've got a special guest joining us and it's Simon Richmond, aka Palm Skin Productions. Hello, Simon. Hiya. Uh... We have been talking before, but I'll do the obligatory. How are you? <laughs> you're all right. Who's this? <laughs> Yeah. So yes, look, we're um, it's great to catch up with you. Um, we're going to chat a little bit about um, the music that you're doing with us at True Thoughts and what that's about, and then we'll also get into your story of how you got involved in the music industry. You've been doing music since. I mean, my my first release that I bought and played out was Palmskin Productions on Mo Wax, and then I've been following you and playing loads of your music ever since then. But um, yeah, well, let's start with where we're at today. I got. I, I, we, how did we? We linked up. You got my email from um... from Jeffrey in Hastings, who uh, who I met through sea swimming, um, and somebody kind of said. Oh my god! It was a really bizarre meeting. Actually, there was a there's an artist in Hastings who was painting a huge tableau of women, kind of sirens of various sorts, luring men to their deaths on the rocks. And she was going to spend all winter painting it. And before she started, she needed some people to pose in the sea. And so the word went out to the various swimmers. Does anyone want to pose for this? And Jeffrey was organising it, and we had to put on ripped clothing and flail about in the in the shallows. Um, and at that point, Jeffrey said something about palm skin, and then I realised that he was doing music and blah blah blah. And I think he was just on his way to meet you. And I just true thoughts have been in the back of my mind for ages about a possible home for stuff and things. And then I'm such an anti-networker and I never really approach people and I never and then I thought oh if Jeffrey's uh, if Jeffrey's meeting someone I said oh you know maybe mention uh, you know you, you never know and then next thing I know we were emailing and, uh, I said yeah I think he sent me an email actually and then we, we, we got in touch so I was yeah. really excited to get that email as I said I'm a fan and then um, I guess you know you sent We've got this new, new album, so we should talk about that. So the album's... Yeah. Yeah, do you want to say a bit about the album and what it's about? And Yeah, it, uh, well, it's called Other Times. Um, and I guess what was behind the title was... Um, I've kind of... In different ways, I've got a kind of area that I tend to occupy creatively and musically, and it's usually involved stuff that goes down quite a long journey i'm probably guilty of overthinking when i write and getting into loads of details and textures and layers and i like things to morph i like things long usually um and then i just got to a point where i thought i want to just do something else for a bit because it doesn't feel like this at the moment and so i thought okay so there are other times there are other times when things are different when you want to do something else and for me, that was representing a bit like clearing my throat of like, I, I want to fling out ideas. I want them to be short. I want them to be beats based. I want it to be rhythmic. I don't want it to be too kind of, um, I hate saying kind of uh, uh, cerebral or intellectual because I just don't believe in putting that label on music, but nothing too, too kind of um, thoughtful in the extreme. Um, and I just started started churning them out, and I wanted it to be spontaneous and to be about the energy of of creating that moment, I suppose. And so, actually, what you've heard and what constitutes the album, which is twenty six tracks, there's actually about another twenty four that I did that are just 
sitting, <laughs> bubbling kind of thing. So it was actually quite an epic amount of work to kind of to, to churn out. Yeah, and I, I remember because I think that's what I was expecting when you said you've got some music. I was like, oh, I'm going to get some good epic things, and then you said that, and I, 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 I was quite honest with you because we get sent a lot of these. Sort of, I call them sort of beat tape, that sort of demo scene, and it has a you know often it's you know loops and big samples, and for us we can't really do do you know release that. And as much as I buy that music and like that music, I, I, the concept of it, I thought it's, it's not going to quite work. But then when you were we were talking, you said look it's got musicians it's just me really work working in that sense and I, I love the idea for us it would be our chance to sort of do that and I quite you know in this day and age if you normally if I see a 26 track album I'm like what I've got to put two hours aside to listen to that but of course in this concept of it it's not that it's just a brilliant listen and right, um, yeah and very very different to um, I guess what you've done before. So part of this is that is that right? It was recorded in lockdown. Is that right? Yeah, this idea I, I before, mean, yeah. it was actually it was. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't mentioned this to you before. It was actually so it started. Uh, I guess it was twenty twenty, and I had this idea of a kind of. I mean, typical for me. I, I always have lots of concept ideas and then don't actually follow through massively with them. I had this idea to start a kind of umbrella movement called Twenty Twenty Never Beaten. And it came out of my feeling of what was happening in this country post-Brexit, um, the kind of polarisation of what was going on in America, just this awful, like, deadening feeling that everything was just going to pot and, and, and there was, it was just a horrible atmosphere. And I thought, what I want to do is I want to keep creating and I want to keep productive and not rest on any one thing and I was I was thinking I'll pull in some other people uh, which I never did and but out of that at the time I was thinking and I wrote a kind of mini manifesto and I thought you know and I was ranting about like I say Brexit and the far right and um, materialism and you know waste in packaging and what's happened to the planet you know usual things um, thinking that's the worst that can happen and then the pandemic hit. And so, you know, yeah, it was a kind of, yeah, it was through lockdown to some extent, but, um, you know. The seeds were being sown already. The seeds were being sown like, you know, together, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's become a kind of industry cliche, hasn't it, that everyone's, everyone's got their lockdown album. Yeah. Um, but I suppose if you never stop working, it's inevitably a lockdown album yeah. because, you know, you've, you've got to keep working. Um, and, it, and it's, I mean, at least it came out. I remember I was doing a panel a little while ago, and, and I think a couple of people running house or techno labels, and they were just saying all we were getting sent from the people we work with were ambient albums because of lockdown. So I, I think, in a way, for us at True Thoughts, I, I, I get, you know, the reality was some artists were able to sort of get it together in a good way through lockdown. Some artists weren't, which we totally understood. I mean, we didn't want to put pressure on anybody and yeah. it was just that balance and then as we all began to get used to it, the music be- began to come but I guess what I've seen at least from my side is this creative creatively there's been some brilliant music I've, I've never had so, so many demos come through and all, by default you know there's just so much brilliant music that obviously like your album it's it's maybe that opportunity to do things that maybe make people wouldn't have done without lockdown and I know there's an element that people think oh we're sort of forced to do this but it's also well that might not be such a bad thing totally listen I don't look the reality is um, you know I'm I don't I, I don't make my entire living 
from interesting creative 26 track albums you know uh, I write music for other people and for commissions I produce music for other people and you know inevitably you know if you're not lucky enough to be able to earn everything from your own you know thing that you love doing all the time you have to spend time doing other stuff and inevitably that means that your dream projects or your pure creative little gems get sidelined a little bit or and so yes lockdown when things when there was a break and there was a line drawn it, yes it was a perfect time to think right actually now I can do my stuff and I don't because I, you know everything else has dried up uh, there were certainly weren't any gigs so you know the couple of two or three bands that I would be gigging quite a lot or the DJing I would have been doing obviously there was all that time um, and uh, you know I, I did take up spoon carving but there's only so much there's only so much time you can sit on your stoop carving a spoon before you think should I, um, should I be in the studio making, making that music I've been talking about for years so yeah so locked, I mean in some regards if you know if, if you're in a position of privilege where you know money wasn't going to be terrifyingly hard uh, and you're in a safe environment then lockdown in some regards yeah for creative people with the, in, with the right tools like electronic musicians who don't need other people or space necessarily yeah it was a, it was it was a, a, a gift in a way and I think it's great I, I, I'm enjoying this and I, and I think I've been saying that quite a lot to the artist on the label and it's like let's embrace these lockdown albums you know some that actually came out were recorded pre-lockdown and then came out through lockdown and it's just like I think we're gonna look back in this time and you know I, I guess there'll be some form of perspective that we'll see what's gone on yeah. this time I hope so I'm hoping yeah so. and I think yeah. I think also it's not just a question of um the material circumstances and people being actually physically inside I think what also happened was a lot of people had a bit of a reckoning or a bit of a word with themselves and started recalibrating what they did and didn't want to do and what they were and weren't prepared to do. And I guess if you were lucky, again, you know, and if you didn't have too much pressure and you were healthy, um, there was a chance to kind of get back in touch with yourself a bit. And I, I think a lot of musicians I know and a lot of creative people I know did that and actually came out of it with a bit more resolve and a bit more feeling of, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, look, I need to, I need to, keep feeding this side of me because it's not just about, you know, bringing in the money and it's not just about, um, you know, survival because, you know, if it is, then well, certainly music's not the industry to be in. It should be a plumber or an electrician or, you know, which is, you know, no, just no disrespect to that, not on a qualitative level, but on a financial level, if you're thinking I've just got to be about survival, then don't be making music in this country anyway.
This is Simon Richmond from Palmskin Productions, and you're listening to True Thoughts. doing these um, interviews you know we'll, you know choose one or two songs but i guess it, 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 with 26 songs on there if you, if you people were going to get a little check into that sort of you know what this album's about you know what are the two or three songs you might say look just go and check these and if you like those give it a proper listen what would you say or would you, would you say you've got to listen to it beginning to end so. yeah i would say um hagstone uh really does it for me you know when you listen back to music you've made I always think of it as like scratching an itch that you've got and and then you listen back and if it feels that you managed to scratch that itch, then you're not worrying about it anymore. And Hagstone really felt like the things I wanted to do with it, it did. Um, and Hagstone, um, I've got to try and remember the titles as well. I'm terrible at remembering my titles. Um, Mermaid's Purse, I really... Oh, that's one of my favourite ones. Because um, I've just, you know, go-go rhythms for me have, I think one of the first 12s I ever bought in Tower Records in Piccadilly in 86 or 80, I mean 85 actually, was Mac Attack, Art of Drums, which is an absolutely seminal go-go record. And uh, so it's really nice to have a bit, bit of go-go in there. Um, what else? Fair Like Glen, I really like, um, mostly just because of, of, of all of them. That's one that... When I hear it, there's an imaginary MC flowing really, really well in it, and so it always just kind of makes me makes me nod like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, God, there's oh, um, fetch. I think it's, I think it's I think it's called fetch, um, which has got a really nice uh, kind of jazz piano thing going to it. Um, and uh, yeah, I suppose those those ones would, would do it for yeah. me. Yeah, but it is meant. I'll, I'll say that as well. It's, it's it's meant to just so so we're releasing it, and, and it's good for us. It's the first time doing something like this. It's twenty six tracks, but they're all relatively short, and we, we're releasing it in a sort of mixed format as well as the individual tracks around yeah. there because the concept yeah. of it is almost the mixtape, I guess, in a way, but all original music. I mean, I've plundered my own archives quite a lot, and I've been quite lucky in that over the last. 20 years or so you know I've worked with quite a lot of orchestras I've worked with lots of different musicians and I've got a kind of bed of stuff that I've produced and I've written that I can take stuff out of um, I'm also lucky because I play a few things so I can you know it, there's a there's a knack to making something you've played in sound like it could be a sample ways of cutting it all those kind of things so um, so yeah so it has got that kind of beat tape feel but it's it's kind of bespoke, if you like, in the sense that the music has come has all come from me. This is Simon Richmond from Palmskin Productions, 
and you're listening to Unfold with Rob Lee.
BTN 101.4 FM 101.4 FM And also, you know, the thing that I'm really aware of in listening to beat tapes, and I was just listening to a few last night. Um, I mean, for the most part, they're all, I mean, maybe I just don't hear the bad ones, but I, I'm always really impressed by all of them. Uh, and the same thing on Instagram, when you hear... You know, there's all aspiring beat makers, and I always listen to them. My instant thought is, God, that's, that's much better than me. But you then actually listen to the track, and after 16 bars, you're thinking, okay, I've gone a bit bored now. And there's like this, there's, just, there's no musical idea, and the, the groove is brilliant, and the glitchiness is brilliant, and maybe they've got a little SP404 and they're doing the kind of stutter thing, and it's, you know, that's lovely. But actually, does it stand up? as a piece of music. And I think the one thing that I I value in myself and I always try to exploit and use is the fact that I am musical and I can write music. And, um, so I've got this love of the kind of the cut up sampled beat thing, but I can kind of provide my own samples for it if you like. Yeah, and it's brilliant. I mean, as I said, it's a really exciting release for us. I, I guess um, I wanted to mention, obviously, while we were doing that, we, we knew that was the idea. I and mean, I was asking, you know, have you got anything that we could maybe put out while this is all happening in the background? And then you sent me The Sword Will Die, which was like an amazing piece <laughs> of music. And, um, you know, how, how would you describe that? What would you, you know, what was... Indulgent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's funny because... Oh, it's just, you know, oh, the, the, the mind game of music is so... 
inescapable. You know, I'm hideously insecure about stuff like the sort of dying, which is odd because it's all the kind of stuff that I do and I've always done. And maybe this is the, maybe this is the value of also doing things like other times, which is I'll agonise about the long stuff and about the ambience and about is it is the journey going somewhere? Does it is it got authenticity? Does it make sense to me? Um, and I've also got a thing. It's a weird visual thing. I, when I'm working away at those things, it's like I'm chipping away at a piece of marble. Maybe not marble, maybe plaster or balsa wood or something less less expensive. And and I'm trying to get a certain shape in my head. It has to feel a certain way. And it's very it's very visual in my head. And, and the, this goes for the longer pieces. And I work and work away at them. And I sometimes put them away, sometimes for years, because I can't quite get the shape or I realise I've knocked the nose off it when I thought I had the face ready or whatever and I absolutely agonise over it and yet the things on other times because it isn't necessarily where my comfort zone has always been I felt alright making my own mistakes and finding new things and not fretting and deciding I can leave that it doesn't matter and so the sword will die is one of my yeah it's, it's, it, it's a, it makes more sense in the progression of kind of palm skin material that's that kind of stuff. Um, so it's got the kind of, it's got the emotion and it's got the kind of space at the beginning that I then like to then lock into a groove and then open up again. And it's got quite a, a big scale to it. Um, I guess it's always emotion, isn't it? I mean, although even in other times, I mean, I, 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 would, I would never say that it was emotionless because if it's, I think if music's emotionless, it just doesn't work. But there's a kind of, a like, to, I like to try and really, I suppose the two different things are, on something like The Sword Will Die, I like there to be a depth of emotion that has a kind of longevity to it and something that you'll ponder. And with things in like other times, I like it to be kind of, have some bite, to be like kind of chewy, and but you don't necessarily want that in your mouth all the time. You just feel, you feel it and it kind of tingles a bit makes you nod and then you kind of move on yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's brilliant. I mean when I heard it it was like ah oh, okay so this is what I, I, I thought we'd be you know I thought other time but I, I you know of course I love other times but it was like and again I think that's the one thing that I found with you because as I said over the years I've heard it was like this sort of doesn't really you know if you try and describe it to someone it's it's quite difficult and it, 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 it I think especially in this day and age where um it can be difficult to get people's attention. It's a track that really almost doesn't make sense unless you listen to it from beginning to end because you need to get And I, I, I like the idea that we're going to release something that we know is going to be hard. Of course, radio will be, well, by my mentor. You may, more, the more mainstream, I played it on, of course, I play it on the radio. I, I think the thing that really threw me because I, I, we got it early and, you know, with certain tunes, if we've got something that I think just may get missed, I always do a little sort of personal send out to a few DJs. I know, and I sent it to, amongst others, Scruff, Mr. Scruff and Jazz Peterson and um, Kev, Kevin Beadle. And uh, Scruff was DJing in, Andy, Mr. Scruff was DJing in Newcastle, and he messaged me, oh, this is brilliant, I'm going to play it out tonight. So that really threw me because I was like, oh, what? I didn't think, I just thought you're going to really like this and you'll play it on the radio. That really... <laughs> sit down gig. <laughs> and then, um, 
I was doing Giles's show when we um, just just before Christmas, and he was saying Kevin Beadle. He was talking to Kevin Beadle, and Kevin Beadle said, "Look, have you checked the new Palm Skin?" And then he checked it, and then Giles said, "You know, I've got to play this out. You know, when, when I'm back out DJing." And so there is a, I guess, I, it, it really threw me because it wasn't something I, I was I had listened to, thinking, "Oh, that's a record that you play out." And I did try. You know, I played it earlier. My Sonic Switch night, and right, of course, it's a little bit weird because people are going, "What? What's going on yeah. for five minutes?" But then you know. It, I mean, I think, I think that, is, that is something that is, um, yeah, it, it's probably, it comes naturally to me, probably not in a good way, um, in the sense that I love, like when I'm DJing, and certainly back when I was doing a lot more Deep House DJing, um, you know, there's always a bit in the set where you want to throw people a bit. I, I think it's important. I mean, I, I'm of that school as well, you know, of, of DJing, which, you, you know, I almost feel if you haven't tried something that hasn't gone wrong, I, I, I play long sets, so you you maybe haven't pushed it as much as you should do. And I, I have that head in my, that, that voice in my head all the time. Should I or should I not play this? Yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. To, you've got to try. And I, and I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky I've got a residency and I think when you have a residency, sort of people trust you, it can be a bit more nervy. I mean, I, I, I love, what was the track on free range? I've got to get home. Love Will Go. Um, oh, yeah. So I used to play this track all the time. Oh. And for the most part, it would always go down well. But every now and then I would play it and it would just be, hmm, OK. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know why. I, and I just, it's, it just doesn't make sense. To it. I didn't know why it didn't work on that, you know, maybe one in 10 times. It was, And it just never made sense to me. I said, oh, how can I get have everybody? But for the most part, it works and then it doesn't. And I'm, yeah. I, I mean, not to not to deflect the blame. <laughs> <laughs> blame me for my. But that's, but that's also the, that, that's the great thing about DJing in the sense of, you know, you 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 can have your absolute, you know, a chunk of the set where you've got you know, 20, 20 minutes, half an hour that is just like you've you it went went off maybe two or three times, and then there's that third or fourth time that you reach for the same mix, and it's it just not not really having it. It's like. This is Palmskin Productions, and you're listening to Unfold with Rob Lee.
This is Palmskin Productions, and you're listening to True Thoughts with Rob Louie. All cool is the way we do things all the time, like brothers, and we come easy, and we come in effect for all cool, and we article every time. Palmskin Productions run teams. Inside. Like Never follow a 
You're listening to You're listening to One BTN. One BTN. As I said earlier, my, my, my first introduction to you was through Palm Skin Productions, the Mo Wax release. And I used to play, I used to run a night called Shaking Wig on a Wednesday night, just tight while I was a student. And Light Brothers was just a proper, just as the club was beginning to fit, fill up, I would play that and we just begin to get, and it always went down really well. And yeah. you know, it's got like a, you know, certain tunes have a personal feeling. Yeah, you know, I remember when Disco started to go, I have a look what that's worth, that's got to be worth an absolute fortune because it means so much that song, because you know, some Mo Wax stuff is worth loads. and so I was like, what? How come this not be? Everybody should want this record in their collection. It was like, <laughs> but it's brilliant. I, you know, I still play it now, and, it, and it's brilliant. But was that your first? Was that your first? What was your first? That was release? the first. That was the first. Yeah, that was the first Palmskin release. Yeah, um, I've, I've done a couple of uh, kind of slightly iffy white label things before but you know nothing that ever did anything and was any good a kind of college days kind of there was a kind of weird situationalist kind of techno-y thing um, <laughs> and I can't think there was something else I did a couple of things with Tony Wachuku who was you know Attica Blues because oh, yeah. we met at college but I think that was just more me playing keys for him so yeah no I think yeah Palmskin that would that was the first Mike Brothers was the first first Palmskin release and then what was so you were involved is K Creative was that something you were involved with as well yeah. is that right yeah, yeah so so what I, I, I didn't do any research before this I didn't look at timelines or anything it's just all that's in my head so was K Creative before Palmskin or yeah yeah okay yeah. so so I'd I'd left college and um, I had a kind of slightly iffy gig playing percussion playing congas over DJs in a club in Earl's Court um, in a basement. Um, that was my kind of weekly thing. Um, and I was on the Enterprise Allowance, which was that amazing scheme whereby you could still get housing benefit and some income support, but you were allowed to be trying to build your your freelance career. I think we've got Portis Heads, you know, came through that. And I think yeah. Ronnie Sires as well, you know, without yeah. that, we would may yeah. not have had well, them. I'm, so, yeah. I'm, I'm the least successful <laughs> iteration of that scheme. You don't put me up on the website. Um, so I was doing that and I was, you know, I was cl- clubbing every night. It was one of those, I mean, it was just, you know, that, that golden youth period of... Um, I would cycle into the West End. So, so this was early 90s? This is early 90s, so this was like 89, 90, I guess. Um, yeah, I'd cycle into the West End, and there was a place in Piccadilly Circus that you could get a slice of pizza and as much coleslaw as you wanted for a pound. And I'd get that, and then you'd know, depending on which night it was, and you'd know the doorman or the people doing the club, and so you'd be on guest list every night. And then drink water all night and then go home. And there was one of the clubs I went to was the Fez at um, Prade Street. It was in the, the basement of, I can't remember what the hotel was called, it was right by Paddington Station. And that was Patrick Forge and Kev Beadle. Um, and I think, um, I can't remember how I knew you. Anyway, I used to go regularly. Anyway, one time I was in there uh, with a friend and Patrick was playing and I said uh, oh god I'd really love to uh, I just wish I was playing percussion in a club like this and not in the club in Earl's Court um, and my friend said well just go and ask just go and ask 
the DJ. And I was like, oh, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. She goes, go on, just go and ask. And so I went over and said to Patrick, oh, um, I'm, a, I'm a percussionist and I'm, you know, I'd be really into to playing. I mean, if, if, if I did that to me now, I would very politely <laughs> say, thanks, we're not taking right now because actually I can't stand percussionists playing over the DJs. But back then, that's what I did. So, and Patrick was lovely and he said, oh, I'm working in Reckless Records. Um, why don't you come and have a talk to me? Uh, so I cycled in the next day and um, he said, oh, you're, you're a percussionist, are you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, um, I know a band who are looking for a percussionist. Um, are you interested? And I said, yeah. And this band was K-Creative and they'd just been signed to Talking Loud and they were about to go out live. They had a, again, it was a three, four dates in Europe and they needed a percussionist and a saxophonist. And I got a call from... I can even Giles. I can't remember. I'm not even sure they had management at that point. No, they must have. Anyway, I got a call from someone saying, come down to this studio. And I turned up and kind of started playing and, and that was it. And me and Chris Bowden, who, um, I don't know if you know from his albums, Time Capsule. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, so me and Chris got hired and um, we spent the next two years uh, touring and recording with K-Creative, who of course had um, Ski Oakenfall. Uh, I mean, Ski and a, and a guy called Zen. It was, they got, kind of got signed. Um, it was a really interesting band, actually, because the drummer, Jimmy C, went on to do Adam Friedland and Freak Power. V-Love, um, the, the rapper, amazing, amazing rapper and vocalist. He had a couple of brilliant projects, one called Scare Electric. Um, really good. Um, and yeah, and, and, and so we started doing that. And that that was kind of, that was the kind of springboard, really. Um, Which is quite an amazing fast track, because really Talking Lab was apart from the major label world isn't it so you've gone from asking can you play percussion to really with an act that's got a budget behind it on a major label albeit very creative you know with Giles at the helm and all of that yeah of course there was that there was that moment though because they just signed to Talking Loud had just kind of been bought by Polydor and there was the famous meeting with whoever it was at Polydor who uh Giles and Norman Jay walked in for the, for the first kind of get together and the guy said I don't want to hear the name the word jazz in the building and there was this kind of like oh <laughs> um, welcome to majors you know um, you know of course they went on you know they been signing you know the roots and various other things where you know obviously jazz influence was huge and um, all the Brazilian the Brazilica stuff they did so obviously you know Giles is very good at not letting not letting what he wants to do be, uh, be silent. <laughs> but it was also, I mean, you're right that it was fast tracking. Um, but the other really lovely thing uh, about Patrick was um, we became friends really, really quickly. And I was I'd just every day be down at Reckless and he'd be, I mean, I got such a musical education from him. He'd just be pulling out tune after tune after tune. And I would just go, yeah, I'll have it, I'll have it, I'll have it. Um, but he also then said, because um, he knew that I was a programmer and I was working, you know, making music on a computer. Um, and this was just, you know, a little two meg Atari computer, which was what we used in those days, which funnily enough, <laughs> uh, when I went to buy it uh, from Loot, I don't know if you remember Loot, the, the classified paper, you know, no internet as such. Um, I took Tony Wachiku um, with me because he was the 
computer whiz. He'd done computer science or whatever it was at college. And we went along and he knew the guy who was selling the Atari and kind of, you know, helped me out with that. And, and so I got into computer music because Tony had helped me with that. I then spoke to Patrick and said, uh, yeah, he knew that I was doing that. And about two weeks later, he called up and said, look, I've got to do a remix uh, of a guy called Vinks, who was, um, he was like a percussionist singer. He was signed to Ireland, I think it was. Uh, and he said, do you want to, do you want to help me with it? Um, and I was like, yeah. And so we did that. And then we did a, um, oh God, what were they called? Uh, UK hip hop. Um, they did that track, Kicking Jazz. Um, people want to say London Posse, but it wasn't. Um, anyway, did another another hip hop track, and out of that, I was kind of learning as I went, and got a kind of started getting my teeth into making electronic music. So I had this great kind of dual lane thing of really, really getting massively experienced in all the live stuff, and my percussion chops were really coming on and touring. Um, and honing that, but at the same time, and obviously it was a, it was a great living as well because we were signed. Uh, sorry, they were signed as a you know as a deal, and we were session permanent session players. So we were just we were on a on a retainer. Wow. Okay. Really so you could be full time. You were just straight into full time music. Then, straight into full time music, but also able to buy equipment. Yeah. So you know, I got my first sampler. I got my decks. I got a drum machine. I got my four track tape recorder um since it was all slowly like slowly building up and also you know both zen and ski were you know masters of uh, electronic music and computer stuff um you know we had a we had a roland sampler with the whole like tv old school big tv monitor on stage there was the juno that you loaded up with cassette before the before the set started because you that's how you saved sounds the cassette and so i was kind of taking all that in but equally, you know, it was fired up by a live drummer and there was brass and the percussion and keys and roads and all that. So it was, a, it was a really, really great education for things to be bubbling around. So what happened from there? What was the jump from that to... They, just, they sacked me. Oh! <laughs> Sorry to laugh. <laughs> You're laughing though, so... Uh... Yeah. What, no, it what was, was very... it? Was it, was, it re- was it change of direction or they just... It was like... one of those... Well, it was a... Yeah, I don't know. It was... um. It was budget and they had a tour coming up and there was a, I think it was a kind of production. They could have like a big lighting rig and something else or they could have me and the management. I mean, it was classic musicians. I'd just been, you know, because I still am good friends with most of them. I've just lost lost touch with others. So there's never any falling out. Um, And we'd just been on holiday, three of us. And I got back and, and one of the managers kind of called me for a meeting. And it was all kind of slightly kind of under the radar. And I was like, what's, what's going on? And then, and he said this and I was, I was fine. And I was like, I, was, I, I actually, I went to the next Gator Age of Game and stood at the front just to freak them out. And then went backstage and I said, why didn't you, you should have just, you should have just said it's, it's totally, I'm like, oh God, we felt really bad. I mean, it was, oh, it was well. but it, it was cool. And actually that was the catalyst for me thinking, right, I'd already, I already had the, 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 kind of palm skin concept. I had the name, I had the tracks I'd be making. And at that point I was like, you know what, I have to, now I have to do something. Um, so they didn't, they've got the manager to tell you, they didn't tell you yeah, themselves. I, yeah, see, yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've, a few times I've seen artists do that with 
musicians that I've said to them, look, in the long run, you're just better off doing it yourself. I know it's hard, yeah. but if you can do it, because I think it's always better, isn't it? If it's ultimately they they know you've made the decision, even if you hide behind the manager, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, and again, you know, what, what, you're in our like early twenties. Learning, isn't it? Um, it really is. You this is Simon Richmond from Palmskin Productions, and you're listening to Unfold with Rob Louie. Thank you. 
You're listening to True Thoughts on One BTN. But it was great, and at that point, um, you know, one of the record shops that I was going to all the time was Honest John's because it was just over the Westway from where I lived. And James was working in Honest John's. So and that's James Lavelle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he'd started doing Moax nights. And like, Moax was basically a kind of cardboard box in the back of the shop in Honest John's. And uh, we just used to, I just used to talk and hang out. And then I remember there was a club night called Kung Tung Fu. Uh, Kung Tung Fu. Tung Kung Fu. <laughs> in, um, yeah, yeah. in Covent Garden. And Patrick was doing it, and James was doing it. Um, someone else. And I took a, I think it was a cassette. It was either a cassette or a dat down. And I demoed the three tracks that are on that, like Brothers EP. And I just said, "Can I?" I was behind the decks chatting. I said, "I think there's a track that would go down well. Can, can I play it?" And I think it was James just kind of went, yeah, all right. And I put it on and no one stopped dancing. And it was, you know, it was a, luck, a lucky one. And, uh, and then he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm starting up a label. Are you, are you interested? And I just said, yeah, definitely. And, and, it, I and so that's pre him starting the label as well. Yeah, because you yeah. just got the first, the first one was something, was it repercussions? Repercussions, I think, wasn't it? That was licensed in as well, I think. That was licensed, and then there was um, what, uh, um, oh, Jules is back. God, I'm going, I'm going to see now. Um, um, Raw Stylus, uh, which I think might have been licensed as well. Um, and then the third one was was palm, was mine, Palmskin. Um, so it was, yeah, it was right right at the beginning, um, and yeah, and there was like tiny tiny budget like I, I recorded it in a it was like in a little garage unit in West Hampstead um, with this lovely uh, kind of jobbing engineer and then um, James had said oh, I'd said I'd wanted to, wanted to try a couple of different vocals and things and James just sent a couple of guys down that he knew from West London who just randomly kind of chatted over, over stuff and and then edited it up and put it together and but it's pretty much the sound of what I'd done on my Tascam Porter Studio it was like which is I mean I listen back to it and part of me cringes slightly and feels like oh god I know so much more about production now but on the other hand you know that the raw the raw stuff of your your first experiments always sounds kind of nice as well and so at that time, you know, how, how was Mowax doing? Because I guess there was a time, you know, almost it seemed to suddenly get together. I can't really remember the timeline of it, but early on there was, you could see there was a buzz about James. I, I was just a record buyer. You would read Straight No Chaser and all that. And you knew, okay, he's he's coming. He's like a fresh person now in, yeah. you know, he, he was closer to my age and that's what I remember. Okay, he's obviously, he's into his jazz, but he's listening to the new hip hop music and it felt like it was someone who was a voice for a generation. He even felt, he did feel like that at that time. But what, what, was it doing well straight away? I can't, I can't you know, no, I, don't, I don't know. How do you judge that? Because for instance, no, you might shift, definitely shifting, I think at least a thousand, probably more twelves. But you're getting, you know, the revenue from that. It's not like you know, a thousand streams. 
So it felt, you know, it felt worthwhile. Yeah. You know, it felt like, you know, you, you were getting royalties, you were getting money. But so when you ask about how it, how it did, and also, you know, there were that fewer releases. So, yes, yeah. you know, we were getting reviewed in all the, the good magazines. There was the Face, ID, um, Blues, um, all those different ones, Echoes, um, Street Soul, I think it was another one. Um, Q, even even the main, you know, the broadsheets and things like that. Would, and so it was. I suppose you know what you didn't have from the internet was being able to reach loads of people, but because there was a limited PR media scene, you also got noticed by the more more people who were going to write about you. So it felt fantastic. It felt really. Um, God, I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm not such a kind of jaded cynic. But it felt exciting. It really felt exciting because James was, you know, he was such a geek. And he had that unashamed, you couldn't embarrass James. He was just, he just wanted everything. He wanted whatever he he could hear, whatever he could see. You know, he was, he, he had he had a kind of vision. You know, he was obsessed by Grand Royal and the Beastie Boys and this idea of having a kind of brand. And he obviously was, you know, slightly under Giles's wing and he could see how Talking Loud had done so well in that way. And it was also, you know, historically, it was that time when, you know, major labels were just, no one was interested because they turned into these kind of overblown dinosaurs. And, you know, that club world, I was thinking about this the other day, that time when, you know, every track would have 10 different house remixes that were all probably they paid a fortune for. And these kind of very polished kind of Ibiza tunes. And, and there was a really healthy underground that didn't, didn't want that and Moax kind of just came exactly at that point. It, it sort of captured the moment didn't it because I, I, I always think about that time because I was running my club. I remember at the time James did an interview with him and him, him saying because Ninja was going before I think the journalist was trying to stir it up a little bit as if they, but he was also saying he sort of said well Ninja weren't selling so much till I started Mo Wax and I, I remember at the time thinking oh gosh that's possibly true because it wasn't quite connecting Ninja in the way well, that maybe Mo and I, I remember at that time thinking but then with both of them together they just were this it suddenly became this really great force and I remember I was starting a club night where I always used to be frustrated that oh you can come and play but you've only got to play early or you can play the back room you can't play peak time so I started my night so I guess that's what I always thought with Moax and Ninja they, they brought us to the front room didn't they and you could see when Moax happened and was really kicking in we suddenly were getting a crowd that were asking for records that were released that week on Moax and it would it just had really brought everything together so yeah it's interesting because it's you know it it wasn't necessarily the music that a club would want to hear you know in the sense of you know it was it was going down really well and it was popular and it was trendy and it was it was new and all of that kind of thing and and, and uh, interesting but I mean I remember going on some of the earlier Moax tours where we were DJing in all over the country and you know not not amazing clubs not the worst but not amazing and you know the first kind of half of the evening there'd be like guys you know slightly shoegazy slightly chin strokey nodding away to something kind of slow and thundering and trip hoppy and that's actually what got me into wanting to DJ kind of house music more because I'd, I'd start dropping house beats and suddenly like people would come away from the bar and you know and, and the guys in kind of you know 200 pound trainers that they brought back from New York would be glaring at me but you know 
the bar staff would be smiling and you know you'd think like yeah actually you know that's an interesting thing and again it's that thing about the music you want to make and the music you want to dj is kind of different sometimes i think i think for me i was slight because again it was another residency it was everywhere i was a student at the time and because I, I play records on the unfold show you know quite regularly and say oh yeah we used to play and i'm so surprised how slow the records were but also there were big tunes. I remember Kev Beadle coming down and playing two two zero zero and an RPM, I think, track. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. And Brilliant. everyone cheered when that came on. So we we you know we played slow, so a lot of smoking going on. So I guess that was part of it. And we'd get into faster, but those tunes in in, in my tiny world in Brighton in a club that held 150 people, it was like oh, they, they were big. But I, I, I understand that with that. Yeah, I mean, no, but it's totally right actually because you know there was there was a brilliant club in London called Slow Motion that was pretty much nothing over kind of 100 BPM. Um, and maybe, you know, in some ways things like, I mean, I you know, Trip Hop, but, but Moax and, and some of those other labels did actually open a door for a legitimate club night that didn't have to be fast. And, you know, and, and it wasn't just, maybe I'm being unfair, maybe it wasn't just chin stroking and, and, and stoners, but, because um, you're right, there were there were there were a lot of brilliant slow tunes that people got to. There was that um, slam slam track, feel feel the feeling. That was yeah. like you know, it, like you say, I remember it now. People whistling like you know, your, your anthem had come on, and then you know, it's just really like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, for me at that time, we playing a lot of that '90s hip hop that was coming out. There was sort of the indie scene and obviously Tribe and all of that sort of brand new being and there was a so both of that scene together sort of fitted in with uh yeah. sort of tempo we had the hip-hop thing but you had something just to break it up so it wasn't too sort of testosterone with the hip-hop thing all night as well so that, that's it but yeah look i think that's it that's brilliant this has been it's been absolutely fascinating simon so thank that's you right. that's yeah good, okay. good talking to you that's right.
So, coming to the end of the show for this week, thank you to Simon Richmond, aka Palm Skin Productions, for uh, the chat via Zoom there. Hope you enjoyed it. We're going to put the full um, track listings up on Mixcloud. SoundCloud or on my website as well Robert Louis R-O-B-E-R-T-L-U-I-S and uh, yeah played um, various tunes start off with The Sword Will Die on True Thoughts and various tunes from the Other Times album that's out now um, some remixes from him tracks from Mo Wax Free Range Records amongst others but as I said full listings things on the uh, Truth or Social media, you can pick it up there. And um, it was a real long chat, so that, that was edited down a little bit to uh, fit it in to the show this week, but we're going to put the um, unedited talk up on the True Thoughts YouTube page, the Zoom link if you're into that sort of podcast vibe. Uh, lots of stories in there and I was, you know, stuff that I couldn't quite fit in on the show this week, but some really fascinating and um, interesting stuff from someone who's had a really uh, good, interesting, creative career within the music industry. Well worth checking that out as well. So before we go, just a reminder, keep up to date with what we're doing at True Thoughts, TRU Thoughts on the website, various social media, Twitter, Facebook, still locked out of our Instagram. But I do the follow there. We're trying to work at getting that back. I think we keep saying we're talking to some humans at the moment within the metaverse. They possibly exist. I think they do exist. The metaverse has not been very handy in us getting our true thoughts Instagram back. But we hope the humans will. And um, we're on, uh, what else? Yeah, we do playlists on Spotify. We've just updated, uh, sort of, we called it a sort of Global Beats one with uh, tunes from across the world. And of course, the radio show. Up on Mixcloud and Soundcloud, you can um, search True Thoughts Unfold Robert Louis combinations of those, and um, I'm sure you'll find it. And I've got, as I said, I've got the full playlists and archive playlists on my website, Robert Louis. I'm down with Twitter and Instagram. If you're down with any of those, you can do the follow Robert Louis. A reminder that my next uh, club night in Brighton, True Thoughts Presents Sonic Switch, takes place at the Green Door Store, second Friday of every month. Next one is Friday the 10th of June. I'll be doing a five-hour set, 11pm till 4am, £4 on the door. be great to see you down there if you're around. And uh, look out as well, uh, I'm going to be doing a little warm-up set, warm-up set for um, when Rakeem plays in Brighton in August. Look 
looking forward to that one. I'm a huge Rakeem fan. So we're going to finish off the show with music from Nux featuring Stormzy. Great track called Die Hard. This is the instrumental of it in the background. So we'll let this one run and then we'll get into the vocal version and finish off the show there. Um, whatever you're up to in the next week, hope you have a good one. Take it easy and um, hopefully see you next week. I'm Grandmaster Belly Bell from the Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five. And you're listening to Rob Bluey and True Thoughts out of Brighton, England. Big up to True Thoughts. Listening to True Thoughts with Robert Louis. I was trying to buy it, trying to buy it, trying to buy it. I pray to God I'm in the right lane, going out a hundred on the highway. At the sunroof screaming yippee ki I ain't tryna hard, I'm tryna great Dissecting my life on a live base You think I'm here to suit you, you got it sideways You tryna find ways to tie into my tirades My cashmere got a going irate I know she lose her mind with the right sway The finest level my endeavours kinda high stakes I put the steak on the table for the right plate I put my fork in your thoughts and make you think forward Thought and I've endured I show first like my drink's poured Figured it just can't get any worse so I risk more Got a n- trying to unlearn sh- I've been taught I was trying to buy it I pray to God I'm in the right lane Going out a hundred on the highway At the sunroof screaming yippee ki I ain't trying to hard I'm trying to break Dissecting my life on a live base You think I'm here to suit you, you got it sideways You're trying to find ways to tie into my tirades Now you really got it backwards It's catchy, when you see me we go have words A man swerve on the beat like a mad burst But she can never put me on the back burner Wanna take it there, I'll take it back further Knocks his head of the rebellion like I'm Nat Turner Man's word, I can never be a man's worker Work the plan, we can never let the plan work out I was trying to buy a trip 
pray to God I'm in the right lane. Going out 100 on the highway. At the sunroof, screaming, if you can I ain't trying to hard, I'm trying to free. Dissecting my life on a live base. Think I'm here to suit you, you got it sideways. I'm trying to find ways to tie into my time. Yo, too fake, I'm trying to be real. My brother empty out the and then he refill. Old school, I don't ever let the tea spill. From way back when mommy used to tell me keep still. If it's less than eight figures, that's a weak deal. Someone told me that success is just a steep pill. I'll pay good money for a cheap thrill. I'm Rashford if you're with my free mill. Boom. Nowadays I stay oblivious. In the hood with geniuses and illiterates. She just want that fuck love, I do it vigorous. And it's never trouble trying to find a. Mm. They wanna be big mic, but they stay lean. Put the culture on my chest and push the weight clean. Kinda funny that my streaming ain't my mainstream. I reckon me and Kanye got the same dream. Dream big. I was trying to buy it. I pray to God I'm in the right lane. Going out 100 on the highway. At the sunroof, screaming if you can, yeah. I ain't trying to hard, I'm trying to free. Dissecting my life on a live base. You think I'm here to suit you, you got it sideways. You're trying to find ways to tie into my tirades.